seeking the Lord's blessing, we'll turn again to Genesis chapter 50. Genesis chapter 50 and verse 25. And Joseph took an oath of the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from hence. So Joseph died, being a hundred and ten years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Especially these words, you shall carry up my bones from hence. Now we saw last week how Joseph's father, Jacob, left the land of Canaan and went down to meet his son, whom he discovered was now alive. And just before he leaves the land of promise, he pauses and he asks the guidance of God. And God meets him at Beersheba and tells him, indeed, to carry on and to go down to Egypt, that God has ordained this to pass. And so Jacob continues on his way and he brings his whole household and everything with him down into Egypt. Now the meeting between himself and Joseph is passed over in a few words. They fell on each other's necks and they embraced one another. And there was mutual weeping and mutual praise to God for his dealings with them. Joseph goes into Pharaoh and he intercedes for his father and for his family. And he asks them, he asks for them a part of the land of Egypt which was known as the land of Goshen. Now that was in the north east of Egypt and it was good pasture land. And Joseph asked that because his people were shepherds. Now the Egyptians did not like shepherds. We're told that in the scripture itself. But because of the importance of Joseph, they gave the land of Goshen, which wasn't good agricultural land, but it was good pasture land. They gave it to the Hebrews, and they gave it to them to be their home. And that was a wise choice in many ways, because for the Egyptians, they were happy about it. The northeast was the weakest part of their own country. So it was a kind of buffer zone. And the Hebrews stood between themselves and the various nomadic tribes that periodically raided into Egypt from the northeast. So it suited them in that respect. It suited the Hebrews because it was good ground. And also because there they would multiply. God would make them a great nation and they could be a separate people. Now that's an important thing. Although they had great influence in Egypt, they influenced from a position of separation. And they were enabled to keep their religion without mingling it with the religion of the Egyptians, at least for some time. Now, <clears throat> Jacob lives for 17 years in Egypt, and he has a time of great blessing there. As I mentioned last week, he had passed through his trials, and he now enters into his rest. But the time comes for him to die, as it comes to all men, everywhere. But before he dies, he calls all his sons into his presence. And what a checkered history all these sons have had, from the oldest Reuben down to the youngest Benjamin. And he blesses every single one of them. Now, 
I want to return another time and look with you at these blessings in chapter 49. He blesses every son according to the kind of destiny which they will have. And in some kind of way, each son was to predestine the kind of life that the tribe as a whole would have. Reuben had the characteristics of his children, of the tribe of Reuben. And so on with Judah, Levi, Simeon, and all the rest of the children. And so he commands them all to come and he blesses them. But what I want to draw your attention to with respect to Jacob is that before and after he commands them, he gives them an intimation regarding his own funeral. Because his own funeral is of supreme importance to Jacob. Before he blesses them, he tells them this in chapter 47 and verse 29. And the time drew nigh that Israel must die. You notice he's Israel. So he's doing this in strength. He's doing it in faith. And he called his son Joseph and said to him, If now I have found grace in thy sight, put thy hand under my thigh. Now that was a particularly solemn form of oath. You might remember that when Abraham sent his servant to get a wife for Isaac, he asked him to put his hand underneath his thigh. And when Joseph does that, Jacob says to him, Don't bury me in Egypt. I will lie with my fathers. Carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burying place. And he said, I will do as you have said. But Jacob says, swear to me. And Joseph swore to him. So Israel bowed himself on the bed's head. And then after he has finished commanding the sons, he asks the same thing of all the family, that they ensure that he is buried where he desires to be buried. Chapter 49 and verse 29. <coughs> Chapter 49, verse 29. And he charged them and said to them, I am to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite. Verse 31. There they buried Abraham and Sarah. There they buried Isaac, that's his own father, and Rebekah, his mother. And there I buried Leah. So he desires to be buried with his own fathers in the land of promise, in the land of Canaan. And then we're told that when he finishes blessing his sons and charging them, he gathers his feet into his bed. He knows that his death is imminent. And then he gives up the ghost and he dies. 147 years of age. What a life he has lived. A life of trial and temptation. Cast out of the home cheated by his uncle for over 21 years. He comes back, is grieved by his own family, cheated by his own sons, and at the close of his life he goes down into Egypt, and there he closes his life in blessing and in prosperity. What can we say of him but this, that he has fought the fight, he finished the course, and he kept the faith, and he entered into his rest, and he now sits with the Redeemer himself in glory above. Now, the interesting thing is this. Joseph's life after the death of his father is passed over in mere silence. Around 50 years and we're told virtually nothing about it. Except that he lived himself to the age of 110. And, interestingly this, 
when he dies he has the same concern about his own funeral as his father had look at the last two verses of chapter 50 <coughs> and notice again there's the oath Chapter 50, verse 25. And Joseph took an oath from the children of Israel, saying, God will visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from hence. So Joseph died, being 110 years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Now what Joseph says is this. He says, you are now settled in Egypt, my whole family. But the time will come, and it's in the far future, when God will take you with a mighty arm back out of this land and he will place you into the land of promise. But he says, I desire to be buried in the land of promise. But don't go back with my body as you did with my father's, but keep it with you. Keep it with you in Egypt until you go back. Until the time comes for a great exodus out of this land and into the promised land. Keep my bones with you until then. But when you go, take my bones and bury me again in the land of my fathers. With my father Jacob, my grandfather Isaac, and my great-grandfather Abraham. <coughs> now the question rises, why this concern about their bones? Or this concern about their bodies? Now you might say, well, perhaps it is just a kind of homesickness. Or a kind of nostalgia and maybe you could say with Joseph that he just desired to be in the land where he grew up for the first 17 years of his life before his own childhood was in a sense cut short in the land where he played and sang where he was with his father and where he first learned the great truths of God the truths which stayed with him he said let me die let me be buried in the land of my fathers. Now you would understand that. There's something in every person perhaps when they reach a certain age and if they've been cut off from their homes or cut off from the place of their youth they want to go back. How much of the poetry of our own people as Gales or as Celts is brought up with that kind of thing. People in exile far away and in their old age they go back to the time of their youth and they say how I would desire to be buried in the land of my fathers. A kind of nostalgia and a desire to be back home. Is that what is true of Joseph? No, it is not. The scripture shuts that out for us. And it doesn't allow us to understand it as nostalgia at all. In fact, the scriptures declare emphatically that it is not nostalgia it is, in fact, faith. It's faith that makes him desire to have his bones laid to rest in Canaan. And that comes through in a remarkable verse in the Epistle to the Hebrews on chapter 11. <coughs> now, Hebrews is the great chapter of faith. It tells us what the great men of God did by faith, by faith Noah, by faith Abraham, and so on. Now interestingly we're only told one thing about Joseph and that's in verse 22. Hebrews 11 verse 2. Now listen to this. By faith Joseph when he died or when he was dying made mention of the departing of the children of Israel and he gave 
a commandment concerning his bones. Now that's all. You think back over the whole life of Joseph. Think of what he did and how he lived. And how faith carried him through that temptation from Potiphar's wife. It carried him through the depths of the dark dungeon. Faith carried him through all that. But the thing the inspired writer to the Hebrews focuses on is this. That when he was dying, by faith he gave a commandment concerning his own body. Or a commandment concerning his bones. Why? Well, this commandment brings his whole faith very clearly to light. And it shows us what kind of man Joseph was. It showed us what his life was like and what kind of hope he entertained. Here is this man all his life in Egypt and you're wondering, well, what does he think? What does he feel? What kind of thoughts does he have? What kind of principles are guiding his life as he is the second highest ruler in the greatest power in the world? Well, what Joseph is saying is this. I believe in the Lord. I believe in the promise of the land. I believe that I shall inherit Canaan and that I shall one day inherit the world. I believe that God will raise me and raise my bones one day in a glorious resurrection. That I shall be immortal. That I shall be incorruptible and that I shall be undefiled. I share the faith of my fathers. It is deep in my soul. And although I have been years in Egypt, nothing has changed that. Nothing has eradicated it. I love the Lord, and I love his word, and I have not sold any of it. And as I am dying, let me say to you, take my bones. Don't leave them in this land, but put them to rest in the land of promise. For I believe in the God of Abraham and in the God of the resurrection. In other words, he was in Egypt. But he was not of it. He was a Hebrew. He lived a Hebrew and he died a Hebrew. He lived by the promises and he died by the promises. Lived by faith, died in faith. 17 years old. That's all he was when he was sold treacherously by his brothers and cast down as a slave into Egypt. But he never lost what he had. He was 93 years in Egypt. And of these 93 years, 80 were spent in power, in the second highest position in the land. But it didn't change him. He wasn't fooled by the glitter of Egypt. He wasn't fooled by the show, by the pride of life, or the lust of the eye, or the lust of the flesh. He laid hold of the faith which his father gave him, and he kept to that. He could say with Paul, our citizenship is in heaven from whence we look for the Savior the Lord Jesus Christ who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body according to the working where he is able even to subdue all things unto himself Joseph when he's dying he's saying I am a citizen of a better country I belong to Canaan I belong to heaven now my friend you live like that and let me live like that as well Let it be known of us that we are strangers and pilgrims in this world. Let people never suspect that we love this world, that this is our citizenship. Let everybody see that you have a passport. Be proud of the name on the passport. Let everybody see who your king is. Let everybody see the kind of law that governs your country, the country of heaven. 
Let people hear the accent. Never lose the accent. The accent of your home. And live as those who love the Lord. And die that way as well. And what a motivation that is, by the way, for even young people to enter into a sphere of life which is a political sphere. Is there not a great need for that today, locally and nationally, for the Lord's people to enter into positions of power and of influence that God would have glory and that his law would have the paramount place? Joseph went in there. Daniel went in there. And when they went in in sincerity and earnestness, God kept them. God kept them. And what's more, they won the respect of those around them. Now let me say to you, my friend, if you live as a stranger and a pilgrim, you might get persecution, but you will get the respect also. Joseph lived like that. So did Daniel. And they were known by the world to have a higher power and a more glorious life than they had themselves. Do we not need some to fight for the unborn? To fight for the thousands who are massacred before they see the light of day? Do we not see people to fight to protect the Sabbath day? To protect life? To raise up the name of the Lord? To nourish the church? Do we not need all that? May the Lord himself raise such people to fill the breach that has been long since made that the church of Christ may become a praise and a glory in the earth. And I said that he would gain respect. Notice, by the way, just to go back here to chapter 43. Look at Joseph's steward. <coughs> chapter 43 and verse 23. <coughs> this is the steward speaking to Joseph's brothers. And he says this to them. Peace be to you. Fear not, the God of your father hath given you treasure in your sacks. I had your money, and he brought Simeon out unto them. Notice how Joseph's life is gradually influencing the lives of people around about him. They're taking up the name of the Lord, and they begin to know the name of the Lord. Move forward even to a more remarkable example in chapter 47 and verse 7. Now this is really peculiar. In verse 7 of chapter 47, when Joseph brings his father Jacob into the presence of Pharaoh for the first time, look at what happens. Verse 7, And Joseph brought in Jacob his father and set him before Pharaoh, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Now, as the scriptures tell us, the lesser is always blessed by the greater. You'd have thought that Pharaoh... Well, would have expected Jacob to fall down before him. But Jacob comes in as the man of God and he blesses Pharaoh. And Pharaoh doesn't protest. In verse 8 he says to Jacob, how old are you? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, the days of the years of my pilgrimage, he says, are 130 years. Few and evil have the days of the years of my life been. And then in verse 10, again, Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And went out from before Pharaoh. Notice the way in which the faith of Joseph had had an impression upon the life of the people in Egypt. Oh my friend, would that your life and mine were like the lives of Joseph. 
that would cause the people to recognize that there is a God in Israel? Will we not say unequivocally that our citizenship is in heaven and that we wait the appearing of this statement or this request to bury his bones in Canaan is an expression of faith in the promises of God. (coughs) But notice this. There's a difference between the two funerals. Jacob desires to be buried in Canaan as well, but he desires to be buried there immediately. He doesn't want a delay in the proceedings. As soon as he dies and the embalming process is over, he asks to be taken and buried in the land of Canaan. But Joseph isn't like that. Joseph isn't like that. For some strange reason, he desires to be kept, his body to be kept in Egypt. Look again at chapter 50 and verse 24. Joseph said to his brethren, I die and God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And then God will surely visit you, and you shall carry my bones from hence. Friends, what he's saying is this. Although I die, and although I am embalmed, don't move my body. He says, keep it. Keep it in its place until you leave this place. And when you do, then Take it with you. Now why does he say that? Well because Joseph knows that there is a great transformation about to come upon Israel in Egypt. He knows that although things are still fairly well, that the clouds are darkening and they are gathering and they are threatening. And the reason is that one dynasty of pharaohs is about to pass And another dynasty is about to appear. And Joseph can sense the change. And what's more, Joseph is spiritually taught by God to know what all this means. And Joseph's mind goes back to his grandfather, to his great-grandfather's promise. Now you remember, all these patriarchs handed down what God gave them by word of mouth. And Joseph had this. When Abraham got that vision... One night, the sun went down, and he saw the glory of God. And God said to him, Abraham, your seed will be strangers in a strange land. Your seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and they shall serve them. And they shall afflict them for four hundred years. And that nation I will judge. But afterwards your seed shall come out with great substance. And you shall go to your fathers in peace. And you shall be buried in a good old age. Now these were ominous words for Abraham to hear. He gave them to Isaac. Isaac didn't see them. But Isaac passed them on and gave them to Jacob. Jacob didn't see them. He passed them on to Joseph. Joseph saw them. He saw them. And what he said to Israel before he died was this. Listen to me, he says. God will visit you. Now, that carries a meaning. In the Bible, when God visits, it means that he comes down to help. 
or he comes down to rescue, or he comes down to deliver and to save. Now, if Joseph is saying that to his people, God will visit you, what he's telling them is, is that trouble is coming. Persecution is rising up. It's rising up against you. It's going to come. But he says, do not fear. God's promises are yea and amen. Not one word of them shall fall to the ground. The church of Christ shall live. It shall prosper. It shall go on forever. God in the midst of her doth dwell. Nothing shall her remove. The Lord to her a helper will. And that right early prove. God will surely visit you. And you shall carry my bones up hence. Now what Joseph is saying is this. When the dark days are coming. And when your faith is tested. And when you feel yourselves harassed. And you feel that God has forgotten you. That he has forgotten to be gracious. He's forgotten to be kind. He's forgotten his covenant. He says, you look at my bones. You look at my mummified body. And as long as that body is with you, let it speak to you. Let it preach to you. And let it tell you that you will enter into the promised land. And you will enter into glory. And when you leave this place, leave it in triumph and take my bones out with you. And how wonderful all that appears when we move forward just slightly into the book of Exodus. And uh, <coughs> in chapter 2 and the last three verses, Exodus 2 verse 23. And it came to pass in process of time that the king of Egypt died. And the children of Israel sighed by reason of the bondage, and they cried. And their cry came up to God by reason of the bondage. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God looked or visited the children of Israel, and God had respect unto them. Are these not marvelous words? God had respect unto them. He may have allowed their affliction, but he had not ceased to have respect unto them. God loves his people. Even when he puts them in the furnace, he loves his people. And when they groan and sigh in the bondage, God will return to them, and God will remember them. He will never forget his own. Now, I've indicated time and again that the life of Joseph is a messianic life. It speaks of Christ. And at just about every turn in his experience, you can say, a greater than Joseph is here. Or this speaks to us of the Lord of glory. Now, I would suggest to you that this is true with respect to the leaving of his bones. There is a parallel here with what has happened for us in the New Testament. And what I mean is this. Christ is our Joseph. Christ is our Savior. He is our Redeemer, our Protector, and our Shield. And he told his disciples that he was leaving. You remember in these chapters in John, from chapter 13 onwards, he says... And he begins to tell them very clearly that he's going. Yet 
a little while am I with you. I go to prepare a place for you. And the disciples feel that they would desire to go with him. But he intimates that they cannot come with him just now. They must remain in the world. His people must remain in the world. And what's more, he tells them that their time in the world isn't going to be an easy one. There's going to be trouble in the world. He says to them, in this world you shall have tribulation. Now he doesn't just speak that to the immediate circle of disciples. It's for us all, every one of them. In this world in which I am leaving you, you shall have tribulation. But he also tells them this. He says, I will come and I will visit you. I will hear you and I will remember you and I will come for you, every one of you personally. And I will deliver you from your tribulation. I'll deliver you from your hardships and I'll bring you into glory. I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there ye may be also now that is our Joseph he is going and he leaves us in a situation of trouble but he promises I will come to you to every one of you and I will take you out of it with my own mighty right arm but you say to him ah yes but will you give us a sign will you give us some kind of token something to encourage us something to help us along the way and he says yes I will this is my body broken for you this do in remembrance of me as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup you do show forth the Lord's death until he come what does that mean ah Christian friend what does it mean to you what does it mean to me Well, it means this, or when I take it down to a practical level, what it means to me is this. Very often I find myself weary, and I find the world difficult, and I find the Christian life hard. And there are times when I feel that the Lord needs to speak to me, and needs to speak to me closely, if I am to be sustained or to survive. Now I go to his word, and it is good. I go to a promise and I hear the promise and the promise says God will surely visit you. But there's something in us that loves the tangible. Something in us that loves a sacrament or a sign. And is that not what the Lord has given me when I am weak? Is that not what he has given you when you come to the table? And there in front of your eyes are the bones as it were of the Savior. Don't bury me immediately. Leave my bones with my people until they are brought out of the groaning and until they are brought out of the bondage. Leave my bones as a token that I speak the truth. And every time they look at my body, let them remember that they will go to Canaan. Or in other words, every time you look and you touch and you taste, remember that you are showing forth the Lord's death until he come. And what does he do when he comes? 
How well does he not gather the believers up to meet with them in the air? Shall not the bodies of the dead in Christ rise first? Shall they not join the spirits of just men made perfect already in heaven and the general assembly of the church of the firstborn? And shall they not all Old and New Testament saints be gathered together, the living and the dead made living, and brought together into one great paradise, New Jerusalem, the city of God, which descends out of heaven onto a new heaven and a new earth, and where God dwells in the midst of them. That is the promise. And every time we touch and taste, that is what it tells us, that this body revives us. It reminds us of the promises, and it tells us that Christ is real, that his word is true, and not one syllable, one jot or tittle, shall fall to the ground without its accomplishment. And does the sacrament not mean that to yourself and to myself? Does it not remind us that the Bible is true? Does it not tell us that Christ is coming, and that there's an end to the affliction, there's an end to the sadness, an end to the trial, and that we shall all enter into the rest of God? I will come again. That's what it tells us. And I will receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Ah, friends, there are those amongst us here who have tasted of the good word of God, but have not yet tasted of the good sacrament. Why is that so? Why is that so? If you can say that you are nourished by the word, then ought you not to be nourished by the sacrament? And if the word is telling you that you are anticipating the Lord's glory yourself, should you not gain the same lesson to the, from the sacrament? Why should you be as one that looks on? Why should you be an onlooker? Is it not time for you to participate and to taste and see in the sacrament as well as in the word that God is good and who trusts in him is blessed? There's another thing too. You'll notice that this promise that Joseph got, and it was a promise, he again asked the children of Israel to swear the thing. Keep my body, take it. And even the children know here what a mummified body looks like. In Egypt they used to mummify or to embalm the body. You know, they would put spices on it, and that would preserve the body. And you can still find bodies in a remarkable state of preservation embalmed in Egypt. Now, the remarkable thing is that Jacob and Joseph were both buried like that. They were embalmed, Joseph no doubt, in a very elaborate coffin, and that is somewhere buried in the land of Cana. <coughs> it's a testimony to the resurrection. Now, you go forward to Exodus 13. <coughs> There's a lesson for us here. <coughs> Exodus 13. <coughs> now this is a great night in, each, in Israel's history. God has come in. The lamb of the Passover has been slain. The people have gathered in their homes. The blood has been applied on the lintels, on the doorposts. And the angel of death has passed by. And over two million Israelite people, those who have grown and multiplied, have left the homes and they have followed Moses 
and they make their way out of the promised land. Look at verse 18, Exodus 13, verse 18. But God led the people about through the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea, and the children of Israel went up harnessed out of the land of Egypt. Listen to this. And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had straightly sworn the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones away hence with you. Notice how carefully it's all done. In the haste, in the hurry, one thing is not forgotten. The mummified body Moses takes and commands to be reverently carried as to make their way out of Egypt. Now go forward with me again to Joshua chapter 24. Joshua 24. And right at the end, <coughs> in verse 32, Joshua 24 at verse 32. And the bones of Joseph, which the children of Israel brought up out of Egypt, they buried in Shechem, in the parcel of ground which Jacob bought of the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for a hundred pieces of silver and it became the inheritance of the children of Joseph there you have it the bones of Joseph they buried in Shechem in the parcel of ground now I think there's an interesting teaching here <coughs> and it's this as long as they were in the bondage they had the bones to remind them that they would one day be free one day they'd be free and as long as they made their way through the wilderness, they took these bones with them until they stepped into the promised land. And when they stepped into the promised land, there they buried the bones in the ground, the precious soil of the land of Canaan. What does it teach us spiritually? Well, surely it says this. It says this to us, that the sacrament which the Lord has left us, belongs to us in our state of weakness, in our present state where we see through a glass darkly, in our present state of tribulation and toil. And we'll take it with us through the wilderness. And every now and again in the wilderness, we'll pause to look at the bones which the Lord Jesus Christ has left us. But for how long? Well, my friends, until we cross the Jordan, and when we cross the Jordan, we, as it were, figuratively bury the bones out of sight. There we leave the sacrament. There we leave the bread. And there we leave the wine. Why? Because we are in the presence of the Lord. And we shall sit around the table where Christ himself is. In his flesh. Flesh and bones. In resurrected glory. And that is meat indeed. And that is drink indeed. We no longer see through a glass darkly, but we shall see face to face, and we shall know even as we ourselves are known. That is the glory of the thing. Ah, oh, how we need it while we have it. But when we see the reality, we can put it to the side, for we have entered into Canaan, and we have entered into our rest. And is that not a day to anticipate? 
And should we not partake of the supper anticipating these things? Now my friends, this comment, and I'll close with this, that Joseph makes, this command that he gives, which the writer to the Hebrews picks up, let it live for us, for me and for you. May you say spiritually, and may I see it, <coughs> let my bones belong to God's country. Let it always be known that I lived and died as someone who loved the Lord and who loved a better country, who loved the country in heaven. In other words, say as Paul did, our lifestyle, our citizenship is in heaven. Why? Because Christ will come from there and he will change our vile body. And that expression means the body of our humiliation. The body which we carry in our humiliated state. That it may be fashioned, change of outward appearance, like unto his own glorious body. And how will he do it? According to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Ah, what a marvelous promise. What a marvelous hope. Does that describe yourself? That chapter speaks of another category of person. It speaks of those whose God is their belly, who are enemies of the cross of Christ, and whose glory is in their shame. But our citizenship is in heaven. We're all in the world, but where's your citizenship? May the Lord bless our meditation. Let us pray. O Lord, we thank Thee for the one who left us, memorials of his own body broken for us. And as long as we live in the perplexity of this world, we give Thee praise and thanks for the nourishment of the sacrament. O Lord, let it sustain us. And if we are spared to gather around the table of the Lord, we pray that Thou would invite us to it, and that we might eat and drink abundantly and rejoice in our beloved. Enable us to learn from the lives of those who have gone before us, who lived by faith and who died in faith also, who lived strong in faith and who died strong in faith. Let us not be put to shame or to confusion. O Lord, call us to thyself. Bring souls into thy kingdom. May we flee the city of destruction and embrace the kingdom of Christ. For we pray in his name. Amen.